0: If you have your Bible today and you want to follow along, you can in the book of Acts chapter 4. This morning we're going to talk about taking the next step in our prayer life, our relationship with God both individually and as a church, as we look at the early church and their prayer life, how they entrusted themselves to the Lord. The background for this passage is interesting. Peter and John had been taken before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders and the political leaders of the day. And they had been taken there by the Sadducees in particular because they had been preaching a resurrection for the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. The Pharisees did. There was a great schism within Judaism at that time over this issue. And the Sadducees certainly did not want to hear anybody else outside of the Pharisees, teaching or preaching a resurrection from the dead. They also were upset and a little bit perturbed or disconcerted because of a leper that had been healed in the name of Jesus. So this preaching of Jesus and a resurrection of the dead in the name of Jesus was very disconcerting to these folks. And so they hauled these two disciples up before the Sanhedrin To give them a good talking to, basically. Now, when they did this, they were were impressed and they were amazed at the boldness and the power with which Peter preached. Peter had had been preaching, Peter had had, had been speaking all over uh, the town at this point about Christ, Uh, and now they were were laying eyes on this fellow and they were amazed because he was unlearned, unlearned, and he was unschooled. Uh, He did not have the credentials. And this fellow was preaching with great boldness and great power and lives were being changed everywhere that he went. Every person that heard him preach was moved in some way and many were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were amazed at these two fellows and they didn't know what to do with them. And so finally, at the end of the day, what they decided is they were just going to warn them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Don't do this again or else. To which they simply replied, should we obey you or should we obey God? God has done something in our life. We know the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And we are going to preach what God has given us. Should we stop preaching what God has given us to obey you or continue to obey God by preaching what he has put into our heart? (coughs) That was the the response of these two. And then they went back to the church. (coughs) Excuse me. They went back. ...to the other believers. And that's where our story picks up in the passage that we read today. They went back and reported exactly what the Sanhedrin had said to them. They they said, these fellows warned us to stop preaching in the name of Jesus or else. They're coming for us, guys. And it's interesting their response. What would your response be? If I came in here this morning and said, I had a meeting this week with the mayor... And he told me that we should stop preaching, teaching, testifying, and giving witness to Jesus Christ or else they're coming for us. What would our response be? You know, with these folks here, did they respond in fear? Did they respond by appealing to political powers? Did they gather together and make plans for war and say, Hey, guys, how many of you have swords? How many of you have bows and arrows? It's time to fight. It's time to take our country back. Did they do that? No, they didn't. Not at all. They prayed. They had a prayer meeting is what they did. They got before the Lord and they prayed. And it's interesting to note this prayer. It says volumes about them as followers of Christ. There are two main points in this prayer that we are going to look at and then We're going to look at the answer. And we're going to spend most of our time on God's answer to the prayer. But the two main points of the prayer were, one, God is sovereign. They said, Lord, we recognize your sovereignty. And number two, they asked that the Lord would make them bold to preach Jesus Christ in light of the opposition that they faced. You know, in every generation, there is going to be opposition. These fellows here, they quoted from Psalm 2. They say, why were the nations so angry? Why do the nations rage, as some translations say? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. And these believers said, we see these verses being fulfilled in our day. We see these verses being fulfilled right now in our day. We are facing opposition just as our ancestor, just as King David prophesied that we would. And we might say the same thing today, amen? We are facing opposition. We are seeing this pop culture just just in, in ways that are unconscionable, things that we never imagined we would face in our lifetime, pushing back and making headway, so to speak, in our day, seemingly making headway against the truth. We are facing opposition, aren't we? Every generation faces opposition. Oftentimes we, we we seem anyway to think that we are facing something unique, something that no one has faced before, but every generation has faced opposition. Every generation of believers in Christ has faced opposition. And these believers said, we're facing opposition just like You said that we would. And in the face of such opposition, these disciples confess the truth. God, you are sovereign. That is, you are in control of everything. You are all powerful. You are the ruler. All things are under your authority. Nothing happens without your permission, God. Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate thought he was a big shot that day. Jesus would not respond to this man's questions. And he said, do you not realize I have the authority, the power to crucify you or set you free? And what did Jesus say to him? You have no power except that which was given you from above. You think you have power. You have no power. Whatever power you think you have is something which has been given to you from above, not something that you made, not something you, you created yourself. This church said, God, you're in control. And they started there. That was the first part of their prayer. second thing that they prayed is, God, give us boldness. Give us, pour out your power upon us. Uh, May our witness be followed with signs and wonders to confirm them. They asked God to empower them so that they could, in the face of the opposition, be a bold and courageous, powerful witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting here, they didn't ask God to remove the leaders who opposed them. It's interesting here they didn't ask God to remove the opposition itself. Didn't ask God to destroy their enemies. Didn't ask God to spare them persecution. They expected persecution. Jesus had, had told them tribulation and hard times were going to come. They knew this was a part of life for them, part of life for every believer. So they didn't ask God to remove the persecution. God removed the opposition. God removed these these unholy rulers that are over us, that oppose us. They prayed instead for a boldness and a greater witness in the middle of the persecution that they faced. Oh, that we would pray such prayers. How often do we pray, God, just make life easy? God, give us an easy street, remove those in, who oppose us, remove the hard times, remove the difficulties. Remove the people who make my life difficult. Not so in this generation. These believers said, in the middle of my hard time, in the middle of the tribulation I face, in the middle of the opposition that we are facing as your people, an opposition that you promised us we would face in Psalm 2. In the middle of that, Lord, make us bold. Make us more of a witness so that we might become more of a spectacle so that those who are opposed to you and opposed to us would, would hear the gospel in new, bigger, and better ways so that maybe some of them would be saved. Some of them would place faith in you. And then God answered the prayer. And there are three things that he did in answer to this prayer. Now, at this point, I want you just for a moment to take a little commercial break with me, okay? We've seen something of how to pray in the midst of opposition. Wherever you are today and whatever difficulty you are facing today, whatever opposition you are facing in your life, whatever opposition we face as a church, whatever opposition we face as believers in Christ, in this country, in this world, in this day, this time, right now, we need to keep in mind that we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we have heard about and seen Him do in the past, He is willing and ready to do in this day. And He will do again in the future. We cannot rest on yesterday's faith for today's difficult problems. We need a new faith for a new prayer in this day so that we might see our God move in this day the way that he has in the past, but not in just the exact same way, but in new ways, because in every day he does something new. That's very evident in scripture. One burning bush, one parting of the Red Sea again and again and again, God does something new and unique through the lives of his people. And he has something that he wants to do in this day, new and unique. Our part in this process is to recognize God's sovereignty and to pray for God to pour out His Spirit. You see, in in praying for this boldness, what they were praying for is, God, pour out Yourself upon us. Pour out Your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord. Pour out Your Holy Spirit. And God did just that. And the first thing that we see here is that God shook the place. He shook it. After this prayer, the meeting place shook It shook. The building shook, literally. And you and I need to understand that when we begin to pray this kind of faith-filled prayer for God to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us and to do something new in our day, the entire atmosphere changes. Our entire world changes. Our entire sense of reality changes. Michael Cadd, a pastor in Georgia at Sherwood Baptist Church. Some of you guys may have heard of him before. They were behind the making of the movie, Facing the Giants and other movies along those lines. And he says that some years ago, they began to experience an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon their church. And this was what he said about that. There is a sense in which we have had an atmospheric revival in our midst. For years now, there has been an unusual sense of God's presence when you walk on our campus. We didn't orchestrate it. We've not manipulated it. It hasn't been worked up. It's been prayed down. It's been prayed down. God is real. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe he exists. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. It's a verse all of us should know by now. I've been quoting it for four years almost since I've been here, right? It's one of the most important verses in the Bible, I think. See, we're, we're, we're plagued with religious atheism in our churches today with a lack of genuine belief in the existence of God and that God is active in our world today. For those that are not religious atheists, there are too many deists among us who see God as a faraway father just peering in occasionally on the things that he created long ago. But God is real and he is active in our world today. And he is looking to and fro upon the earth for those who would confidently come to him. Trust him, have faith in him, pray and seek his face. And when that happens and we begin to pray with that kind of belief and trust, things happen. God's spirit begins to pour out upon his people. And that's what happened in this passage of scripture. God's spirit came down, God poured out his Holy Spirit here and it changed the atmosphere. The entire environment changes when God shows up. People are strangely moved. Just as there was a sense of the building shaking, there's a real sense of something happening when you walk into a place where God is moving. Most of us have never experienced that. But again and again and again, you see that throughout Christian history. Again and again and again, you see that throughout church history. You see it in the New Testament here. I can show you example after example after example how it's happened throughout church history. Places where people were praying, faith-filled, prayers, for God to move, God moved, and even the place itself, when you walked onto the campus, you had a sense of God's presence. Something was different. Leonard Ravenhill, an old evangelist, said, prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. Can any deny that in the modern church setup, the main cause of anxiety is money? Yet that which tries the modern church the most troubled the New Testament church the least. Our accent is on paying, theirs was on praying. When we have paid, the place is taken. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. In the name, I'm sorry, in the matter of New Testament, spirit inspired, hell shaking, world breaking prayer, never has so much been left by so many to so few. For this kind of prayer, there is no substitute. We do it or we die. These folks understood their desperation for God. And they demonstrated their dependence upon God upon God by faith-filled, church-shaking prayer. I think Ravenhill is right. Never has so much been left to so few because there are so few who will be willing to pray such prayers. Second thing that happened here, ...as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a great misunderstanding, many misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is either ignored, neglected, or abused... ...in most churches, most situations in the life of most Christians, it seems, today. But that's really not true. There are a great many who do understand something of the Holy Spirit... ...but we all can learn more, right? Right? And there is this idea that you receive as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to receive the moment that you're saved. Amen. Okay? You you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved. I, I can agree with you there. But we see again and again and again throughout history these special moments when God pours out His Holy Spirit upon His family and does something special. You see, yes, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. So did they. These were believers. This is the church. Each and every one of them. Pentecost had happened several chapters ago. They had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. But here is a special visitation, a special anointing, a special outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon them. These verses show that even in those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, they can experience a special visitation or manifestation of the Spirit's power. In the old days, people understood this. Today, we've kind of become content just to believe we've got as much God as we're ever going to have. Let's just enjoy it until the end. We don't know what to pray for, so we don't pray for it. We ask God, move. God, do this. God, do that. What God's waiting for is someone to, to ask God to show up. (laughs) What God may be waiting for is just for someone to have the faith to say, Holy Spirit, would you just come down upon us? Holy Spirit, pour yourself out upon us. Pour yourself out on me. Change me. Make me different. I need you. Yes, I have the Holy Spirit. But yes, there are times I need the Holy Spirit to do something specific and different and new and unusual. And I need to pray, God, pour your Holy Spirit out on me. Please, I beg of you, pour your Holy Spirit out on me. Pour your Holy Spirit out on us. Pour your Holy Spirit out on your church. One of the great weaknesses today in the church is the lack of prayer for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Because we don't know to do so. We, we, we've had this idea that we, we just have as much of the Holy Spirit as we're going to have. And, we, and we're afraid to pray those kinds of prayer in many cases because we're afraid someone's going to accuse us of preaching heresy. Listen, it is biblical through and through that God again and again and again, Old and New Testament, shows up on His people with a special visitation. Throughout church history, I could give you again and again and again examples of God showing up with a special visitation, a special presence, a special anointing, a special outpouring of His Holy Spirit. This is a biblical example of it. Here in Acts chapter 4, God poured Himself out upon this people. And the third thing that happened is here is they preached with boldness. That word boldness means to preach openly, frankly, without concealment, unreserved. There was nothing and no one that could slow them down, deter them, or shut them up. I'm sure none of us need that kind of boldness today, do we? Do we? We're all bold, aren't we? You see, when the Holy Spirit shows up, When the Holy Spirit is poured out, people change. They get saved. They're made bold. They receive special gifts and special grace for this moment in time. When God pours out His Holy Spirit, there is a return to our first love. Christ becomes once again the main thing, the only thing, the real thing for us and to us. People begin to believe rightly about the Scriptures. They begin to pray Do you need that? Do you want that? Charles Finney was one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church, and he says that uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him, poured out upon him, to give him a boldness and to give him an effectiveness in his witness. He says, as he wrote, he said, The Holy Spirit went through me, as it seemed, body and soul. "'I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high "'that a few words dropped here and there to individuals "'were the means of their immediate conversion. "'My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows in the souls of men. "'They cut like a sword. "'They broke the heart with a hammer. "'Multitudes can attest to this. "'Sometimes I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. "'I would go and visit and find that I made no saving impression upon people.' I would exhort and pray with no results. I, I, I would would then set apart a day for private prayer and fasting, seeking God to pour out His Holy Spirit anew upon me. And after humbling myself and crying out for help, the power of the Holy Spirit would return upon me with all its freshness. And this has been the experience of the whole of my life. You see, we, we want to be a witness for the Lord, but so many of us are trying in The power of self to go out and do that, and we find ourselves a failure. We're weak. We're ineffective. Finney says, I fasted, I prayed, I humbled myself, I sought the Lord, and the Spirit's power came upon me. I was endued with power when the Holy Spirit had come upon me as I prayed. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament. (coughs) Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 It's often quoted Habakkuk writes here He says Lord I've heard of your fame I stand in awe of your deeds Lord Repeat them in our day In our time make them known In wrath remember Mercy We've heard about what the Lord has done In the past We desire to see it In our day don't we One of the most interesting things to me as far as study is concerned and the whole of my life has been the history of spiritual awakening. From the moment that I landed on the seminary campus, I was interested to learn about spiritual awakenings. One of the first classes I took at seminary was a history of spiritual awakenings with Roy Fish. Great class, probably the best class and my favorite class I had in all of the time that I spent at seminary. Because through that class, day after day that I was in that class, we would study how God had moved throughout church history in revival. And when I say revival, I'm not talking about crusade meetings where you gather people together and you have folks saved. That's great and good, those meetings are. But I'm talking about a genuine move of the spirit of the living God upon people that changed them radically, where people had an experience like this church did in Acts chapter 4. It didn't just happen in Acts 4, guys. It's happened periodically throughout church history, again and again and again. In fact, one day, uh, as I I said some weeks ago, Roy Fish explained it this way. He said, revival and the move of God's Spirit is like the tide going in and going out. He said, you have these times when the tide comes in and you have these great revivals, great move of God. The Spirit of God falls down and, and is poured out upon His people and you have these... Great moves where people are saved. You have so many people saved, like in the revivals in the middle of the 19th century when 10% of the American population came to faith in Christ. You have the church just explode in, in prayer and seeking after God and a love of God. There's just, and that's the main thing, guys. It's, it's the love of God and a passion for God and the salvation of souls. That's what happens in genuine revival. And you have these periods again and again and again that happen, th- happen throughout church history. And, and Dr. Fish said, you have these times when the tide comes in, and then you have these times when the tide goes out and it gets very dry. And we have been in a dry time for so long that we have churches filled with people who don't even know what it would look like to have the tide come in. That's a good and bad thing. Because we're, we're not holding on to God doing something exactly like he did back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. We'll be open to something new maybe because we've never seen it before. But it's going to be a shock to our system as well. Listen, God is ready to move in ways he has in the past but different for our day. And what I mean by that is his spirit will be poured out. There will be a renewed love for him, a renewed passion for him. People will get saved and it will be wonderful and we'll see our whole world change. And It will look something unique for our generation. He's ready to do that again. He wants to do that again. He desires to do that again. He said, well, why doesn't he just do it? Because again and again and again we see the precipitator, the catalyst, the thing that happens first is a people who humble themselves and pray, turn from their sins, turn from their wicked ways, and seek the Lord their God with all their heart and all their might. And it can happen with you. Every great move, every great work of God, every great pastor, preacher, every great missionary, every great Person used greatly for the kingdom of God that you have ever heard about was someone or something that happened because of prayer. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers ever. He is known by those who know these kinds of things, by all the preachers who have read of him, as the Prince of Preachers. He's one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. Lived in the 19th century, 1800s in London, England. People filled the church that Charles Spurgeon preached in. He started preaching when he was 19 years old, youth, 19 years old. He's a brilliant man, never went to school, never went to seminary, I should say, But God's anointing was on him. And you know what Charles Spurgeon said? The reason for his great ministry was and the reason that he could preach the way he did and the reason that he had the reputation that he had, the reason God used him as greatly as he did was because God had taken him to pastor in that London church. He had taken him to pastor a praying church. That church prayed. They prayed before he got there and they prayed when he got there. And they prayed for him through the whole of the time he was there. While he was preaching, there were men Women that were praying, at least men that I know of, a couple of men that prayed all the time for him. But you could go to his church any time and you would find people praying all the time in the basement. People would come and visit his church and he would take them to the basement. he said, this is the real source of power in this church, what happens in the basement, because people were praying. And God moved. Everybody's heard of Charles Spurgeon, right? Maybe some of you haven't. You're not students of history, but so many of us have. There are over 60 volumes of his sermons still in print today that people read. Thousands, maybe even millions, have come to faith in Christ in part through the preaching ministry of Charles Spurgeon. A kid called to preach unschooled who pastored one of the largest churches in the world in his day with one of the most powerful ministries that the church has ever seen. How did it happen? It happened because people prayed, believed God, and saw him move. There's no mystery to all of this. No mystery whatsoever. It's about faith-filled prayers. I want to close today, and as I do, I just want to say one last thing. Our lives are not about us. It's about Him. Our life is about God. As we said last week, God loves all of us. He loves all of us All of us fiercely. He loves all of us infinitely. He loves all of us eternally. Not just us in this room, but every person who has ever lived or ever will live. Sinner and saint, God loves us. Loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins that whosoever... Anyone who would believe and trust that Jesus died on the cross for their sins can be saved from their sins, be born again, changed person, become a Christian, and have eternal life, a new kind of life. That's how much God loves us. We who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and who have become Christians, we need to understand this. As believers in Christ, we have a purpose here on the earth that God has left us here for. Otherwise, he would just poof, you'd be gone the moment that you accepted Christ as your Savior. You would just leave the earth, be taken on home. God has a purpose, a plan for you here. And that purpose is for all of us to make much of him, to glorify him. That word glorify him, to put it in hillbilly terms, means to to be a demonstration of his character and his power to the world around us. But you and I do a lousy job of that if we do it in self and if we do it in the power of self. But if we decide that we want to join our life literally to him and to his power and be a part of what he's doing in the world around us, we in that moment begin to glorify God in such a way that people are moved, just as Finney said. There was nothing great about Charles Finney except for this one fact. He recognized that when I through some action of my own, step outside of what God is doing, I need to hurry back into what God is doing. Otherwise, what I'm doing will be totally worthless and ineffective. If I'm a part of what he's doing, I can be a part of something wonderful, powerful, incredible, life-changing for everyone around me. See, what we need to make up our mind is, is do we really believe God exists? Do we really believe God rewards those who diligently seek him? And if so, we need to begin to pray. We need to begin to seek God's face, not just do it in five minutes on the way to work or two minutes before we fall asleep at night. I mean, get serious and press in. Seek the Lord in faith. Cry out to him. Believing prayers. Listen, how much time do you pray? You see, the, the amount of time you pray is a testimony to your dependence or lack thereof of, upon God for your life. Jesus said, if you'll just keep on asking, persistent prayer, if you'll keep asking, I'm going to answer your prayers. I mean, you're going to get everything that you ever want just the way you want? No, but he says, I'm going to answer. And he says in that same verse in Matthew 7, in those same group of verses, he says, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for, for a fish, would give him a snake? He said, if you then, being evil, and what he meant by that is we're imperfect. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children who ask you for them, How much more will your Father in heaven give to those who ask of him? And the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That little addendum there is the interesting thing. I think that God is always ready and willing to pour out his spirit. He's looking for those children who will believe that he gives good things to those who ask and who will persistently pray for such. And I think those moments when the tide has come in, it's been because there's been one little old lady somewhere, two little old ladies somewhere, or a group of people somewhere who have believed and placed their trust in God that God wants to do this, and they begin to persistently ask for God to do it in their own life and in the life of those around them, and he did it. He did it. You guys that are you, you guys that are young, there's no reason you can't be that person. Time and time again throughout church history, it's been youth and been young people. Then people your age and just a little older who have prayed, sought God, believed, put their trust in Him. God is used to usher in great revival. Modern missionary movement was begun in, a, in an, something called the Haystack Revival. which is just a, a, a group of people that got together to pray just a little bit older than you, began to pray underneath haystacks. They prayed under haystacks because they were getting out of a rainstorm that was happening that day. And they began to pray and seek God with passion, believing prayers. And God showed up, poured out his spirit, and we had the modern mission movement that came out of that. You see, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how smart you are, unlearned you are. If you pray and seek God with passion, believing prayers, God is willing and ready to show up. And Jesus said, if you'll just pray persistent prayers of faith, for me to do something, I'm going to either do that or something better because I'm going to give you good gifts. I'm going to give you my very, very best. You see, it's it's like when my son says, can I have a cookie? 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 I said, man, I'm not giving you a cookie. Because we're going to granny's house and she made banana pudding. You see? And he may cry and throw fit for that cookie, just like we cry before God and say, God, I said I need a cookie, and I want a cookie, and God, I need that cookie. God says, I'm not giving you the cookie. We say, God, why won't you give me a cookie? We begin to cry, plead. Sometimes we get angry, don't we? He doesn't tell us at the time. We just see it later when we're putting the banana pudding in our mouth. Hmm. He might know something, I don't. That's pretty good tell you something, God wants to revive us. He wants to revive you. He's waiting for you to persistently seek that in your life. He is willing to do it. If you will persistently pray, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on me? You don't even need to understand all the theology behind it. Just read Acts chapter four, go to first John chapter four, verse 14, say, God, this is a confidence I have in approaching you. If I ask anything that's according to your will, you hear me. And if you hear me, whatever I, whatever I ask for, I know I'm going to have. So we just lay we just we just lay our life down on this truth right now. God I know it's your will to pour your Holy Spirit out upon me so that you might get glory in me. That you might get glory through me. So God, I'm coming to you and I'm seeking you. I'm asking you now. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on me. Lord, I'm asking. You said ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find. Knock the door shall be open. You give good gifts to your children who ask, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon me. Lord, I confess my sin. I repent. Whatever's in the way of your spirit moving, Lord, please remove it out of my life, Lord. I'm asking you, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit on me. Pour out your spirit upon Harwood. Pour out your spirit upon my pastor. Pour out your spirit upon the deacons. Pour out your spirit upon the leaders. Pour out your spirit upon... Then you just fill in the blank. Listen, God is knocking. God is seeking for his people. Open the door, right, youth? We heard that in Revelation 3 on Friday night. God is knocking. He is seeking. Will you, will you open the door? 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 Will you be one to have faith? Will you walk out of here and have chili and never think about this again? Or will this affect you for the rest of your life? And will you begin to pray every day, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit? Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. When God pours out his Holy Spirit, the whole atmosphere will change. He might literally literally shake the building. He may just do something else. But I'm going to tell you, when you walk into a building where God's Spirit rests, you will know it. And you will know when God's Spirit is poured out on your life. God is real. He is active. He is living. And what he did in the day of Habakkuk and what he did in the days before that, he's willing to do again and even then some. For our day is a unique day and a new day. And God has something new he is willing to do right now for a people who will ask in faith, and persistently ask in faith. Let's pray.